Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Coming up in this episode, Claire McCarthy, director of new BBC drama The Luminaries, and Christian Vesper, executive vice president and creative director of global drama at distributor Fremantle, talk about how they've been impacted by the coronavirus crisis and why the New Zealand set adaptation of Eleanor Catton's novel will offer viewers tiring of lockdown the perfect escapist drama. But first... Franco-German cultural broadcaster Arte has a rich seam of current affairs, global politics and world events to mine for its documentaries. But as a prolific co-producer, it's currently navigating life without physical industry events and meetings. Arte France commissioning editor for documentaries Mark Edwards spoke with Clive Whittingham about the topics that are interesting his team and how producers can get them over the line during the current crisis. He also drops details of forthcoming projects the network has in the works on the COVID-19 pandemic, Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. So I'm Mark Edwards. I work as commissioning editor for Arte France. Arte is a French-German broadcaster and a uh, digital platform that's available across Europe. My job as a commissioning editor, I work in the in what's called the culture and society department, but our remit is really to do politics, history, current affairs, um, some culture and some um, social issue documentaries. We also do what we call grand format, which are the big feature length, very um, author driven creative docs. We do series. So we have in my group, we're doing about 100 films a year as mostly co-pros where we're involved from the beginning. And my particular role in the group is to be in charge of international co-productions, to actively be out on the markets and the festivals looking for um, you know, some of the most ambitious films to either help co-develop and partner up in, in in the early stages or occasionally to acquire a film in, in the late stages. And my average year, I have probably 15 films that I'm, that I'm working on actively and a bunch more that I'm tracking and, and talking to. So yeah, it's, it's, we're lucky that we have a fair amount of volume and we're lucky also that we're doing subject matter that's really at the heart of, um, you know, Know, what's going to resonate with our audience. We have a relationship with the news cycle that's a little bit, I, I wouldn't say one step removed, but we're, we're, we're constantly trying to figure out how to be in step with the news cycle, but be both deeper in our analysis and more sort of far-reaching and trying a little bit to look into our crystal ball and peer into the future and say, what are the, what are the trends that are going to be important a year or two from now? And can we be in an in-depth look at some of these big issues uh, and can we sort of create a discussion through documentary filmmaking um, that's going to bring home some of the bigger issues that people are talking about today. You obviously came into to 2020 with those plans and, and that number of films and hours. At what point did that change and how has your job and strategy changed in the first half of this year? Well, obviously, on a very practical level, um, COVID has disrupted, you know, our coming to work and and, uh, delivery on many, many projects that we were expecting to come in. At the same time, obviously, like everybody else, we've been um, continuing to work and meet and talk and exchange information and projects online. And we've taken a position as um, an institution that it's very important to keep up continuity both in the discussions about projects and in our commitment to producers to both um, you know sign up for new projects and to 
to get the projects that are in the works done. We want producers to be careful as the as the COVID virus situation washes over different territories where, where we're shooting. Because we're not a news organization, we're not pushing people to go out tomorrow, but we're looking at creative ways to get the films that are in the works done and to think about commissioning things that are both COVID related directly, but also, um, you know, all of the ways in which COVID have, has revealed uh, underlying trends in our societies, obviously moving much more to digital. So we have many projects about things that are going on in the digital space. We have many, many projects about, about geopolitics and, and the political situation in the world and how some of those dynamics have been, you know, crystallized by, by the COVID situation. We've got in, in, you know, in my wheelhouse, I'm working on co-productions with both the UK, the US, Canada, um, and other countries. So we've got, you know, a headline, uh, Brooke Lapping, three-hour series about Trump that we're being, that we're doing with BBC. That's really focused on Trump's foreign policy and foreign policy decisions. And we were going to do that any, anyway, because we have a long-standing relationship with Brooke Lapping and with Norma Percy. But what's really nice about that project in particular is that the angle of um, looking at foreign policy and the, you know, the consequence of Trump's presidency on all sorts of, you know, big uh, foreign policy issues in the world, whether it be um, China, Russia, or, or European foreign policy, that has really come to a head with the COVID situation. And also there are so many uh, people who've come through the Trump administration that were you know, very optimistic and hopeful that we're gonna get a lot of very high level people to talk. And you just have John Bolton's book coming out um, you know, this week. And there are a number of very high level uh, Trump officials who are willing to talk about foreign policy. And I think you know, what we wanna do as a broadcaster is give people a very, very in-depth look at one aspect of Trump's presidency. Um, and that's a very special role that we can play and we're very happy to do it. A lot of these projects you're talking about sound like quite long-term and in-depth things. Have you been tempted to go short-term, quick turn around pandemic content over the past six months? Or are you, are you more in-depth and long-term thinking than that? I, I would say the the, the shortest um, turnaround that we look at are six month projects, and we have looked at retirement home projects. We developed a retirement home, um, you know, how COVID hit retirement homes in 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 France uh, directly, and that's a project that's been. We put some development money in immediately. They were out shooting, and we looked at it, and it looks like something we're going to commission. The the sort of the, the one of the bigger COVID projects that we've gotten involved in is is a project about Bergamo in Italy, um, and it was brought to us by a, an Italian filmmaker uh, named Stefano Savona. And the idea that he brought to us was that he was working with seven different filmmakers who were covering the action in Bergamo on all of the different levels, both the, the healthcare story, but also the political story and with families and, you know, in, in different aspects of, of, of the city. And we've gotten to, this, to the point where if we have filmmakers from the place on the ground, you know, Italian filmmaker talking about Italian society and how at this grand zero, ground zero location, uh, Italian, you know, Italian city met with the problem. Today, we're much more interested in working with an Italian filmmaker on that subject than we are in sending a French crew or a German crew in from the outside. We're, we're much more interested in hearing the voices of the people from the places where where the stories are happening and from filmmakers in those places. And, you know, we'd worked with him in the past. We know his work. We, we share the same 
ambitions in terms of filmmaking and documentary. Um, so we're, we're quite happy to team up with people around the world doing that kind of thing. So those are sort of the two COVID examples I can give you. There's also a practical element to that in that some productions require a lot of international travel, which at the moment obviously is, is very difficult. As a commissioning editor, would you be more reticent now to commission something that involved a lot of international travel and look to more local stories or like you say, local filmmakers to, to get around that? I think, you know, I, th I, th I think it's a case by case proposition in, in each case evaluation. We, we look at what the team is bringing to the territory they're proposing to cover. We look at the difficulty of getting there, obviously. I was just having a conversation yesterday about getting to India. We have a film in the works about uh, Chinese hacking. And, uh, you know, we, we want to know if we can get to India or not. It's, it's a difficult uh, prospect today, but it's something we, you know, we may go ahead and try to do. I think the tendency um, in the long term is to look to places we can team up with local crews and local filmmakers. And the idea is that we're trying to to tease out the elements of the story that even though they may be very locally, locally based, they have global resonance. You know, the idea is to, to marry both very local origins to stories and have a global perspective. And I think getting Bergamo to talk about COVID, but also getting somebody to talk about the situation in Minneapolis and getting Bergamo and Minneapolis in a dialogue on our digital platforms is, is, our, is our underlying goal. And the question of how we do it and the means is really a function of the, of the proposals that come in from the you know, dozens of independent producer, producers we work with. We're having obviously dozens and dozens of conversations with independents, um, both in France and around the world. And the fun thing about my job is I get to know and develop relationships over the years with you know, active producers in the UK, in the US, uh, even as far as Australia. And we have sort of this ongoing dialogue. And, you know, sometimes people will come to me with a project and I've never, I may have never met them. I've, I've heard about their work in the past and I'll take the chance and, you know, spend some time talking to them and see if it's something that, that can work for us. Of course, there's only so much you can do in a day. Um, and I can't, I can't say that I'm able to respond to absolutely everything that comes in, but I do try to be as open to, to proposals coming from around the world as, as I can. How has that that meet and greet and networking with potential new producers and also, like you say, you're a very prolific co-producer, very useful co-producer, your channel. How has that been affected by us all being locked down and on video calls and not able to go to MIP, Sunnyside, these kind of events? How has that affected you, these events going away? You know, I think it's I think it's sort of um, hit and miss. I, I mean, I think I, th I think there are some of these video uh, meetings, uh, the, the Sheffield one on ones or the, the hot docs pitches and one-on-ones, sometimes things click and the, you know, the, the Zooms and the platforms work and you have these wonderful conversations, you know, for a half an hour with someone halfway around the world. And I would say of those two festivals, I, I have a handful, I have six or seven conversations from each of those, which will be ongoing conversations about in-depth projects. Um, and they're quite good. I think the thing that we miss and the thing that's just not happening while we're working remotely is that, you know, fortuitous meeting in the bar 
the hallway and there's nothing that will replace that human contact. And I think, I think being at a festival is so stimulating both for the filmmakers and for the people who've got projects that, um, you know, we're all itching to get back to the real world and, and to the face to face. That said, I think there's a lot of ongoing dialogue that can happen from a distance. And there are some, you know, first conversations and introductions that happen thanks to these festivals. So it's by no means, you know, has, have these contacts stopped happening and, and by no means are doors closed. I think it's just, it's a little bit more haphazard and it's a little bit harder. You know, you have to be persistent in, in wanting to talk to each other. But, you know, occasionally we, we have great meetings of the minds and, um, you know, several agreements to work together that have happened in the last three months. Do you see us all being back on the plane and back on the circuit to the extent that we were before? Or do you, do you think we'll take elements of the new normal into the future? Or do you think it will just be back on the circuit as soon as we can for that face-to-face contact that you talk about? I, you know, I, th- I, th- I think it shouldn't be an either-or proposition. I think we should take what's best of working remotely and being able to talk to people halfway around the world. I think it's, it's good to mix both. And I think even um, I know that IDFA has already talked about doing um, a mixture of things that you can be present at physically and, and online things. Several of the festivals have been talking about doing that kind of thing once things start opening up a little bit more. So again, I'm, I'm somebody who, who tends not to try to make binary choices between, you know, it, it has to be this and not that. I think, I think we need to take what we can from both, definitely. I mean, we're obviously heading, we're going to head into a, a, a tremendous period of economic uncertainty and, and strife at the moment, which will affect public broadcasters all over the world. Are you seeing changes in the co-production market at the minute? And how do you think this is going to shake down and, and affect broadcasters' ability to put money into, into projects to the extent that they maybe were before? I think currently, if you look at us, uh, BBC, Channel 4, uh, PBS, I think we're all in a position where we really want to work together and we really want to be teaming up on projects together. I think we're realistic about the number of projects that we can do together in a given year. I think if of our 100 films, there are, again, about 10 or 15 that can be full-fledged co-productions with um, you know, very direct editorial involvement from the BBC or, or Channel 4 in the UK, if, you know, if we're talking about. I think, obviously, public broadcasters are working with means that depend on you know, state funding and, and, and uh, money that's raised by our, our state system. Systems, there are obvious budget uh, restrictions that are being talked about and that are coming, you know, in the pipeline. We're lucky in France in that Arte has been, uh, Arte's budget has been more or less preserved. We've had some symbolic cuts, but more or less our, our, our production budget has been constant for the time I've been at Arte, which is eight years. And, you know, I think we feel very lucky, but if we want to do big and ambitious projects, uh, we definitely need to team up with other public broadcasters. And, you know, we, uh, we talk to each other a lot and we try to exchange on, you know, the things, the ambitious things we want to do. I just got off a, a video conference with Channel 4 and PBS about um, a Generation 9-11 special that we're trying to build together and develop together that will be ready for the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11 uh, in 2021. That development has gone on and we're all happy at Channel 4 and PBS and us to be involved in that project. And there are, you know, a handful others like that that we're very actively pursuing. Obviously, this is all a way in which we're responding to other digital platforms, Netflix, Amazon, and so on. But I think 
to a certain extent, we have both very deep experience, deep catalogs, and deep knowledge of our, our audiences. And I think our ability to team up, to make specials, to make series is very much there. And, you know, we've been talking to each other and saying this is, this is a lot like the co-production configurations that we had in, you know, in the 1990s even and the early 2000s. And there's just as much a reason to do it today and just as much incentive on our side, certainly. How much does the pandemic and COVID content figure in your priority list for what you're looking to commission? Are you worried that the audience may fatigue of the topic or do you want to sort of double down and, and go for it in a big way? I think the jury's out. I, th I think we're always looking for things that resonate and we're always looking at things that come at the subject matter from a slightly different angle because we know we're doing in-depth long-term documentary work. We're trying to think what will resonate a year from now. and you know, obviously one of the things, uh, one of the territories that we've gotten a number of proposals on is the history of pandemics um, and, you know, Spanish flu and beyond. Um, we're working up through the 20th century. We've, we've looked at a few of those. Um, I think it's the kind of thing that if somebody cracks it and has the right angle and has an in-depth and very persuasive take and proposal on it, that's something that we could possibly do. I don't want to, you know, solicit hundreds of submissions, but I think if, you know, for the producers out there who are thinking in these ways, you know, we're very good at the narrative mode of saying, how did we get to where we are today? Or what did we miss? What was that thing that happened in the last two years in the news cycle or in the political uh, sphere that sort of washed over us without anybody registering? And how can we go back and look at it in a detailed, intelligent way and do real documentary work to understand it today? And I think those are you know, two modes of narration where we're particularly strong and particularly comfortable. Is there anything, I mean, we've obviously got US presidential election coming up later this year. Is there anything else, either topic or anniversary or event-wise, that, that you're particularly interested in or, or looking for projects or, or perhaps not looking for things if you've been pitched something over and over again that you want to stop coming in your door? <laughs> no, I mean, I, th I, th I think, again, we're, we're dealing with deep changes in our societies. You know, we're looking at a world that's more digital. So we're looking at the impact on work and how all of these changes are affecting the way people work. We're looking at the, you know, the shift to a, a care economy. And I think, you know, if, if, even if you were just to sit down and say, what's the care economy? What could the care economy be? What is it today? And what could it become? That's a dozen films, potentially. There, there are three or four films about healthcare. There are several films about caring for, for the elderly. There are several films about caring for young people. You know, obviously those social issue films, but that have also a, a policy element, that have a political element, are things that we're very interested in. I think people's personal experience about the dividing line between uh, what it means to work and what it means to, to have a family. I mean, everybody's, obviously everybody's balancing that problem today. And I think the clever idea that gets to the heart of that balance today uh, would be of great interest to us. I think, uh, I mean, our problem is that we're cur curious about anything and everything. Uh, and I think obviously our mandate is European. I heard a joke this morning from our outgoing president that she was interviewed for one of the um, national radio stations here. And the journalist said, you know, nobody wants to hear about Europe, but everybody likes Arte and feels that Arte is the one good thing that's come out of Europe. And I think we often think about how we can look at European issues or even how we can look at the relationship between Europe and the UK in a new um, and original way. 
and we've got a Boris Johnson film in the works. And our task there is to say, how can we, with the producers, build a film that's not what we've seen before, that's, that's, that's new and that's looking at this critical moment where, you know, Boris Johnson is going to be faced with the most critical decisions in, you know, in decades for the UK. And um, obviously the COVID crisis has created a, a, a stage on which that's going to happen that's very dramatic. But rather than doing a bio or, you know, a, a sort of superficial treatment of what, you know, what's Boris all about, we want to look at the important political decisions that he's going to make this year and try to make the film of record about this important year. That's, you know, that's one example. How should producers go about pitching you in this situation where we're not at markets? I mean, what's, what should they, how should they get in touch and what, what do you need from them in the first instance? We're in, we're, again, we're, we're working in, in France, um, in Arte. The, the, for better or worse, the written word is actually of disproportionate importance to us. We're, the, the paradox is we're asking filmmakers who are out making films to write as much as they can about their intentions, about the questions they're asking, about where they're trying to take the project. And we're very eager to read a 10, 15 page treatment because what we see when we look at treatments and we have discussions with, with producers and directors and, and, and filmmaking teams about their treatment is how they're solving storytelling problems and how they're looking at what they're looking for in the material, what kind of material they're gathering, what kind of access they have. But once they've got it, how they're articulating a story and how they're, how they're building the story in narrative terms. And having that prototype on paper is one way of you know, developing a relationship and understanding how we each work and how we, you know, our expectations in terms of storytelling. And that's the best way. Um, you can send me, obviously, a demo reel. You can send me some footage. But I'm, I'm very happy to read a, an intelligent 5, 10, even 15-page treatment of, of the subject. And, you know, how you tell the story is as, as important as, as, as the subject matter and how you tell it in, in filmmaking terms and the narrative devices that you're using are very important to us. Definitely. Finally, before I let you go, um, how how does a, a channel like yours compete with you? You touched on it earlier in the co-production discussion. How do you compete with something like Netflix with the enormous deep pockets? Or is the answer is you don't, you know, the, the subjects and the content is, is markedly different. Do you see yourself as competing with them? And if, if so, how? I think our whole logic is, is that we, we serve an audience. We serve an audience across France and Germany, but now also our footprint is across Europe. And we're engaged in a very long-term conversation with our audience about the biggest issues of the day that will be the most resonant for them. And we also luckily at Arte have an image that's playful a bit hip and somewhat impertinent. And so we're able to embrace a wide range of styles of films. And so what we wanna say to our public is, you can find all kinds of films at Arte that will be relevant to you. And you can find very deep and longstanding commitment to the big issues of the day. And, you know, I think, I think that's a slightly different logic than a, than a Netflix or a, an Amazon offer. And, you know, I think we're realistic. We know that our audiences are looking at both, but we want people to come to us both feeling that we're independent, 
we're reliable in the age of fake news, and that we have the potential to tell stories with a certain style and a certain attitude. And I think as things go more digital, and as, you know, obviously we have traditional broadcast, and our traditional broadcast audience is faithful and there, and, you know, we work for them. But as things go more and more digital, we find that we're able, because we have a very deep catalog, to offer, you know, sometimes six, eight, ten films on a given subject matter or, or a given uh, subject area, and that those films often have very personal and individual takes on these very important subjects today. I mean, you know, the, the, the key film for us recently has been I'm Not Your Negro, which Raul Peck, Haitian filmmaker, uh, very internationalist background, based in France, um, with obvious long, long-standing ties to the U.S. Raul made a beautiful film about James Baldwin and his take on American society uh, 30 years ago and its resonance today. And that film, which was um, you know nominated for an Oscar three years ago, is as relevant today. And it's it's the kind of uh, you know great filmmaking that we want to get behind and it's very emblematic of what, what we're you know what we're all about and what we're trying to do. Mark Edwards from Arte France. Described as an intricately woven suspenseful tale of love, murder, magic and revenge set in New Zealand at the height of the 1860s gold rush, the BBC's latest period drama is The Luminaries, based on the Man Booker Prize winning novel by Eleanor Catton and produced by working title television and Silver Reel TV. Director Claire McCarthy and Christian Vesper, Executive Vice President and Creative Director of Global Drama at Distributor Fremantle, spoke with Michael Picard about how they've been impacted by the current crisis and why the New Zealand set series will offer viewers tiring of lockdown the perfect escapist drama. Were you, Claire, on, on anything, any projects or anything like that that's kind of been delayed a bit? Yes, I'm on a project actually, thankfully, in post, a show for Sky called Domina, which we shot in Italy just before everything went to um, to hell in a handbag. And uh, yes, we're just in, just delivered the first, the pilot episode to Sky and we're, we're just running the edit room remotely. So we actually have five of 10 shot. So we okay. will have to come back uh, once, once we're through all of this. But we kind of have enough to get on with. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the sets are still sitting there. Everything's just huh. frozen. Wow. But I Is know that... a lot of buddies and colleagues have had, you know, things in pre and it's terrible how, yeah, just everyone's on its knees. And <laughs> Christian, crazy. I mean, working for a, a huge company like <laughs> Fremantle, how's business been changing for you? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's just uh, it, it, a lot of, um, we're, we're lucky in that a lot of big shows uh, that are, are, we're wrapping our got where we're at the place where we could head straight into post. So we've been doing a lot of or all over the world, really a lot of uh, remote ADR and, and that sort of thing, you know, so we've been lucky in that sense, but we have a couple quite big shows that we've had to shut down in the middle and it's uh, it, it, it's tricky, you know, and, and it, 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 I think the tricky part for a company like us and like any studio is really the unpredictability of when, things will ramp back up again because yet you, you know the, the you know the number of people that work on a set and and people's time and and anxieties really i think is another thing that we're going to have to address as we start to come out yeah. of this some people will be just let's get back to work others are going to have a bit more of a struggle yeah we don't really know what normal is anymore i think yeah. and, and how do you think how do you feel the industry's responded in terms of you know lots of events have been cancelled but everything's going online and and what are the challenges that you kind of foresee the, you know the international 
business sort of facing over the coming months? Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, I, I think on the one hand, it's 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 the, the disappointing part of all those events being shut down is just you know, there's there's a great satisfaction for the the creators and the actors, you know, to 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 um, you know, it's moving in television. It is moving to a place where projects can be screened like films. And I think that in this, like this project in particular, it's such a cinematic show. You know, you want people to see it in, in all sorts of settings. So that's been a bit frustrating, I think. But TV is actually a place that people are turning to right now um, and will continue to turn to. And it's, it's you know, at least on the content production and distribution side, you know, that, that as frustrating as it is in terms of shut productions down, there's also a real need for what we're doing. So it's trying to figure out how to um, keep everyone working as much as possible through this and then serving the market um, as it comes back. You know, it's a mixed bag, as with everything. So it's a good time to launch a, a brand new six-part drama uh, <laughs> set in New Zealand in a, a faraway time. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. I mean, yeah. in a way, the viscera, you know, the landscape, the character of New Zealand, yeah, I think it's, it's sort of... Um, not a wish fulfillment fantasy, but there's there's a lot of components of the show that I think hopefully will appeal to people in captivity at this point because it's it's also I mean the show sort of has its heart on its sleeve and its tongue in its cheek in a way. I mean um, we wanted to you you would know it's based on Eleanor's very dense and and beautiful beloved novel and and that kind of spirit of mischief that she has in the novel is something we wanted to take over and and the idea of lampooning the kind of victorian sensation novel and there's a sort of larger than life kind of ambition in the show i guess and a symbolic underpinning in terms of the aesthetic and the approach so hopefully people will want to watch it and feel taken away and taken into uh, another world which is which was our ambition even before covid but hopefully <laughs> it'll be a salve in some respects we hope well, you know we, we've had bbc move up the air date partly because you know they, they have said that it's just it's such a great show for these kinds of times i mean i think that what claire and ellie have done is create a show that on one level it, it it's this really intriguing you know lean in thought-provoking drama that we haven't seen before but you can also choose to let the beauty of it wash over you and and comfort you if you, <laughs> if you'd like yeah it's 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 a sort of an embarrassment of riches being able to be in new zealand and in in some respects the show was a challenge because you know not only because of the density of the novel and working out what we would and wouldn't bring across the script but also the world of 1860s New Zealand was not really there you know being able to work with such a brilliant team to launch a show virtually from from nothing you know like there was no there's no period uh, buildings of that of the 1860s remaining having to kind of make everything from scratch the costumes the sets finding the props so it was really it's really amazing being able to work with such a wonderful creative team to bring something of this scale and, and ambition you know in such a strange and, and quite innovative way in, in a lot of respects because we we didn't have a conventional studio we weren't working within the boundaries of a sort of um an environment that that you would say is your typical way of working it was it was quite wild i mean we we built this 360 degree set on a farm um in new zealand in in auckland to create Hokitika. We did actually go down to the South Island as well, but just thinking about the viscera of that world and the strangeness of it, the the sweat, the dirt, the the textures of that world, and and also bringing 
across a lot of these um, aesthetic ideas. I mean, the book is so textured and rich anyway, and trying to bring that into the, the visual style of the, of the show has been really, really delightful and a big challenge. What's so impressive about the show from the sort of network and studio side is what they were able to do with craft down in New Zealand and the skill of the Claire's department heads and and all the way down to, I mean, I think they bought every antique in New Zealand. Pretty much. uh, And and, and then built just extraordinary, um, uh, built an extraordinary world on what was essentially a a back lot in the suburbs. And at the same time, I think that, you know, Claire and, and her DP, Denson just I, I was thinking when when our last conversation cleared there's a shot on the uh, where uh, Anna's on a hillside in Hokotika uh, you know where the graves are and it is the most extraordinarily light I've, or extraordinary light I've ever seen so I think that's what's really terrific about this show is its cinematic depth thank you I mean also uh, I I, th- I appreciate that because the, the heads of department is such a, it's that collaborative kind of triumvirate will actually, whatever you describe it when it's a four up, because it's really <laughs> Felicity Abbott, who's an incredible production designer, uh, Denson Baker, the cinematographer, and also Edward Gibbon, who's the costume designer, the four of us really trying to, you know, put under the microscope what, what the aesthetic, the look, the feel of the world, what, you know, all of these people are storytellers and that collaborative process to work out how to approach patterning and texture and framing and how to create the world. You know, that's been the real challenge of a show of this ambition because we had to make everything. There was no, it was all intentional. It had to be, it had to be thunk up and, and, and brought to screen and, you know, making, uh, you know, even things like what kind of texture in the air, like the particles in the air for, how, for it to feel sort of like there's moments which may be lost in the audience. So there's, there's sort of an OCD that ends up happening here where you go, oh, will people really notice these things? But you, you try. Um, but things like the, the idea of the constellations and the stars, there's moments where you see the texture of the stars in the air at, at Livia's. Um, it's kind of like trying to take aspects of the symbolism of the book and bringing it into the, the world of the story, thinking about the 12 men, for example, that are representations of the constellations and the, astro- the astrological framework of the show. It's quite important to think about every character and that's one of the great beauties of working from such a richly written novel. Those characters were always inspiring to me, having read the book a few times and feeling like these men really, the, men, the male characters in particular really jumped off the page. And, and so we were thinking things, you know, we put a lot of consideration into the colour palettes um, for each of the characters, working out their arcs across the story and how they would, you know, their physicality, how they'll look and move, but how they could also represent their archetype uh, in very clear cinema language, I think, because it's sort of a reductive medium in some ways, film. You know, you want to you capture and focus the attention of the audience in a different way than you can with a book. So a lot of it was kind of trying to focus and hone so, such richness from the book into, into this um, much more um, streamlined narrative. So yeah, it's been a challenge. It's been, certainly been mm-hmm. a challenge, and and um, and an interesting one at that. Well, I think what's interesting is that the 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 magic and the the astrology and the stars are there for people that know the book and love that element of it. It's there for you to find in the details and in the 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 the, the palette and the clothes, and and yet it can operate very much as a rollicking, robust, as you say, adventure. And and it it 
that and it's a tricky feat in six hours to kind of get those both in and it's done in a very um, sophisticated and accessible way at the same time. And I also think that um, one of the things you, Claire talks a lot about, which I think is really interesting is, and, and it was in it's the book as well, is it subverts the Victorian notions of these female characters and places them in a, in a frontier world, which is on the edge of, of everything where they, their opportunities and their roles are different. And I think you know, the cat, the casting, it's that funny alchemy of television or movies where you, you don't really know who the characters are until you cast them in some ways. And, and Claire and, and Ellie did such a terrific job and especially, you know, across the board and the two lead women are, are bring really elevate that, that uniqueness. Mm, yeah. I think that's a good point that the, the kind of idea of a, a victim or a pure sort of ingenue that, that is, corrupted by the forces of the male world around her is something that we were pushing against. We didn't, we wanted Anna to, to have her own secrets and to come into the story, not as an innocent. Um, she makes some choices that we kind of question, you know, and we want to be questioning them throughout the, the story as the six episodes unfold. And it becomes, there is a murder mystery element to it. And a, I guess a why done it, but also we're questioning Anna. So I think it's an important um, distinction that it is it presses into victorian sensation but it's also looking at that a whole idea of like who is a female protagonist and you know how can she have her own self-determinism and and where can we give her agency claire mccarthy and christian vesper that's all for this episode remember if you'd like to share your story of coping with covid19 with the international tv industry email us using the address press at c21media.net There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. <laughs>